So senior year high school project where we pick a topic and we use that to answer a question. So I've decided on water skiing because that's my passion. So I've come up with the question, what are the physics of water skiing and how does the relationship of the skier and handle path relate to the boat? Okay. But there's a lot there, right? I mean, there is just, yes. just, just to, just to get it all out. There's, there's probably hours and hours, if not days and days of things we could talk about with physics. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I would need to brush up even more to kind of refresh myself and get into the, the, the nitty gritty, dirty details. But um, what we can say, where we can start a good jumping off point um, with this is to just say, yes, water skiing is heavily dependent on physics or another way to put it is paying attention to how physics uh, applies to sliding across water behind a, a toad, toad object um, can greatly increase your ability to improve, right? So yeah. in other words, understanding how things work at a very basic level, at the level of physics, um, can make a big difference in skiing. Definitely, um, yeah. So if somebody cares about that, about skiing better, then they would be interested in physics. If it's a school project and you're presenting this to people who don't ski, they're not necessarily going to want to know how to get better, but they're going to maybe be intrigued by some of the basics that govern water skiing as it relates to physics. Um, and when we say physics, I'll keep going for a sec. When we say physics, people uh, like immediately like glaze over and they're like, okay, I'm out. I don't know physics. I can't deal with physics. I hate physics. Yeah. I hate science, but, um, but everybody knows physics, right? So just for, as an example, have you ever been to like a barbecue or I don't know what you guys call them down there, but where you, you have like the paper plates, and it's like yeah. the best food you've ever seen. You want to load it up. You want to load up a heaping plate full of food. Well, how do you hold that heaping plate full of food? Do you hold it out here on the on the edge like this so the food can fall off and break the plate? Or do you kind of like hold it right here underneath? Yeah. Usually, yeah, you end up holding it underneath. That's has everything to do with physics. And most people know this intuitively. So right off the bat, everybody's a, a physicist. Everybody gets physics to some degree. If you're supporting it off to the side, the center mass is here and it tends to win because the support is off to the side and you have a, a net torque. If you want to balance out all the forces, you just support right underneath the center mass and your hand is right there to counteract anything that's going to make that plate or make that food fall off the plate. So that's, yeah. that's just a simple analogy of how physics dictates or is present in all of our lives. And we are all physicists. We don't even know it in just basic things, whether it's tying your shoes or it's uh, a plateful of food at, at, on a weekend barbecue or whatever it is, there's a lot of things that people innately know that they don't attribute to physics. So if you're one of the people out there, or if you're you know, like a little bit scared of physics, don't be afraid because the physics are kind of just an explanation of how things work. And everybody likes to learn yeah. if it's what they care about, how things work, because that's just gonna make them understand things more and be able to navigate life better so okay so that was long opening but physics as it relates to skiing um <clears throat> there's a couple basic things all right this idea i just showed of the center of mass, center of mass. okay 
Yeah. So like understanding that when you have an object like a book, how you find the center of mass of something is you balance it in multiple planes. That's one way. So if I balance this book here, I know the center of mass is somewhere along this, but I don't know if I take the book like this, where the center mass is. It's anywhere along this axis, but we know it's probably right in the center of these pages. Yeah. It's right in the center of these pages and it's right in the center of this. Very easy object to find the center of mass of. And so if we're gonna balance, if a, if a walrus or a seal is gonna balance this book on its nose, we know that that they're going to balance it right in the center, center along this axis, center along this axis. And that's that's just a very basic rule that if you want to resist a force or you want to accelerate something with a force like a book, if I want to accelerate this book upward and not have it fall off my finger anyway, my finger has to apply a force right where the center mass is like this. Now, what happens is when you have a water bottle like this, that's kind of full. This is maybe not gonna work great, but you take this upside down. Now this is similar to a, a body on a ski, right? My hand is the yeah. ski and the water bottle is my body or a skier's body. And you have a little bit of a top heavy situation. You know, shoulders, hips, heavier than the feet. So a little harder to balance. Much more important still that the ski and the forces that are pushing um, from, from the water pushing on the ski, those forces are pushing through the center mass. Because if they're not, if the ski's pushing inward, let's say we're negotiating a turn on a ski like this, the ski is pushing inward like this, but it's also accelerating around the corner too fast, the water bottle falls off the back. Skier falls off the back. Um, yeah, on a water ski, you have a handle to hang on to and the boat to catch you, but that's still, we're talking about an ideal way to ski, that still makes you inefficient. It's not ideal. And so this very simple idea of center mass is critical in just simply understanding um, how objects move through space and how best you can accelerate them and change their directions through space um, efficiently. And that's what we're doing in water skiing. We're going around these buoys. We're going left, right, left, right. The boat's going anywhere from 26 to 36 miles an hour, you know, 40 to 58 K and yeah. Um, the skiers going faster, swinging behind the boat. So it becomes a very dynamic situation very quickly. And physics are, are definitely at play. Center mass is kind of the fundamental uh, principle behind understanding how, how that works. And then the second thing is, imagine uh, everybody's probably seen like a long border, like a skateboarder going down a hill. Yeah. Um, when you're riding a skateboard or a longboard, for the most part, you're on a, a hard surface. So the skateboard, if the skateboard's going along and if this is the road and the skateboard's going along the road like this, the skateboard's always parallel to the road because the wheels are always the same height off the road. But when you have a water ski going through water, the water ski can do any number of different things with what we call attitude or trim. And so what that does is we can drag. change the amount of drag that we have on the ski by whether we have the tip up like this. Imagine sticking your hand out the car window as a kid. We know this, we know this trick, right? You're watching me from the side, windows down. I stick my hand out the window like this. That's gonna be a lot harder to have handle than this. When I have, anytime I have my hand like this, it's much easier, it's like a wing. As soon as I take that hand and I put it like this, that wind is hitting my hand full force and it's going to rip my arm back. So 
it's the same analogy with water skiing, another another example of physics. And as it relates to water skis, um, just like my finger holding this book up, it's almost always if I'm gonna if I'm gonna hold this book like this, uh, if I can, and just have it be steady, my fingers have to be pushing perpendicular to this book. So that means they can't be pushing like this. They can't be pushing yeah. like this. They have to be pushing perpendicular to this book. Now, water is exactly the same on a ski. So water is always pushing perpendicular. So if you take your ski and you have the tip really high, water's pushing perpendicular. You want to go this way, but the water's pushing you back that way. So that creates a lot of drag. So just simple basics. Center mass, understanding also that water can only act perpendicular to a lifting surface dictates yeah. dictates a lot of things of water skiing. So that was a lot, crash course to the basics. What, where do you want to go from here? Um, anything about handle cloth you want to say? Um, as line length progresses, how that changes, if the physics change as the line progresses, anything to say there? Yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. Okay. So to answer your question, this is a drone view of water skiing. And you can see how as a skier swings back and forth, they come up a certain amount on the boat, right? Um, you know yeah. this, and we've talked about this before, but um, they swing through from, there we go. So as a skier, you have to swing through a certain amount of degrees. And I don't know if you can see that up on the top up here, but it says yeah. 43. Yeah, all right. So whatever line length this is, the skier has, has swung through 43 degrees. And then on the other side, over here on the left, they're gonna have to do the same. So if we just draw this kind of path around the buoy, it kind of looks like that. That's the handle arc, right? So side to side, the handle does this, Every time the skier goes back and forth, side to side, that's the handle arc for this particular line length, which I'm going to say is 15 off. So this is a standard um, 18 meter line, right? Yeah. Now, what happens, <clears throat> let's, um, let's go to somebody who's at a really short rope length. And what we're going to see is we're going to see a much different relationship to the boat you can already see this right i mean yeah look at this there's the pylon there's the rope and that angle is 72 so the angle's almost twice as big this little angle in here that the skier has to execute or reach to get around the buoy right you see the buoy right there and that yeah. that's a, that's quite a different set of dynamics and so if we were to draw that handle path relative to the, the boat, it's going to look like that. It almost looks much more like a semicircle now than the other one did. The other one was like was like that, if you remember. And so what, what this does is a couple things. Number one, um, it affects the way the skier negotiates the buoys. Obviously, to get up beside the boat, like this skier had to here, to get all the way up here, that's very difficult to get up that high because then the skier instantly has to get 
back to this side and back up to the other side just to get around the next buoy. So timing yeah. becomes more and more critical, number one, as the rope gets shorter because of this geometric reality, okay? Um, the other thing that happens is the dynamics or the acceleration, deceleration, the amount of load on the skier becomes much greater as they are, are asked to change directions quicker time and time again, particularly um, in two spots. One spot would be when the skier, let's say, uh, let's get that away. So right here, this zone is quite high as far as the load and the loads coming from the uh, two places. Number one, the boat. So that's the rope force pulling the skier, trying to pull yeah. the skier kind of around that arc like this, okay? So that's the one force. The other force is the water through their feet right here. And when those two forces are really high, that's when the most compression is on the body, right? And that's when, sorry about that. And that's when it becomes very, very hard for the skier to control what's going to happen. So that's one of the one of the biggest differences between what we saw previously overhead view with the skier at, at 18 meters and this overhead view with the skier at 10.25 meters. You know, we're talking about eight meters less of rope and the dynamics change completely. The other place where this becomes really difficult to negotiate is right here. And this is where there's a lot happening. This is where you can see because the skier has to swing up beside the boat here, that they can't just quickly turn into the boat and take their time turning because they're going to get this droopy line here. That's yeah. slack. That slack is a is a killer. That's instantaneously going to end the pass for the skier. Next buoy's gone. Maybe you're going to fall. Whatever. So that becomes yeah. critical. And because of that, the turning radius of the skier. So now we're talking about the change in direction over time. The turn radius of the skier you can see here has to be much tighter than in that previous example. And we can go back to that in a sec. But just kind of burn this in your brain. This turn radius here, to get this to happen, that, this skier has had to take a huge, whoops, sorry, has had to take a huge amount of load through their feet perpendicular to their ski at every point along this turn, like that. Yeah. And actually, if I drew this representatively, what, what really is happening is, is the skier, the load's increasing as they tighten around that turn. And I'm going to indicate that by the length of the arrow. So as the skier gets closer and closer to that, to that, um, I can't because I'm going off the screen, but you can see this, this arrow set gets bigger because the load's getting bigger through their feet. So those things like that, that loading we're talking about um, through the bottom of the feet by way of the ski pushing against the water, the water pushing against the ski, that becomes much more critical as the rope gets shorter. So we went really into depth here. I don't know if that was off off the rails but um yeah anything you before oh, before i ask you a question before i open it up let's go back to that that 18 meter skier so in other words the skier where the rope was only 18 meters and this skier the rope's 10 meters so uh, much different look at this turning radius here and i'll even advance it a little bit and you'll see um you'll see quite a quite a tight turn here 
from that skier. So, and we're going to look at this turning radius, right? And you can see that it's got much more belly and it's much more mild like that. Yeah. Whereas the old, the other skier was uh, actually quite abrasive right there at the end of the turn. So anytime you're driving in your car, riding a bike, skateboarding, wakeboarding, surfing, and you want to turn sharper, there's going to be more load. There's there, there has to be. To execute a sharper turn, you need more load or more force to accelerate you around the corner. Like when you're going around a corner in a car and it's a it's a 40k corner, you're doing a hundred K, that's gonna be quite amount of quite a big amount of force. Um yeah. it's the same with skiing. The faster you're going into these turns, the the less likely you're gonna be able to turn sharp and keep the rope tight. Um and to turn sharp and keep the rope tight at shorter rope lengths, you need to be able to generate more force through your feet. So how that comes into play is if I have this water bottle here and I'm able to balance it with my hand, I can accelerate it pretty slow and it's pretty easy. But as soon as I want to try to accelerate really fast, it becomes much more critical that I accelerate it right through its center of mass. So again, slow accelerations doesn't require a lot of precision. But if I want to accelerate this water bottle really fast, my hand instantly just shot out to the side because I wasn't perfectly balanced. And that's, yeah. that's what's critical about uh, skiing is we're going from, at the elite level, you're going from 15 or, or 18 miles an hour up to 60 plus miles per hour in about a second or less than a second. Those loads, those forces on your body are tremendous. So as it relates to physics, to kind of put a bow tie on this and then get back to you asking me questions, I don't know of any other sport hardly any other sport where it's just you and your body and one tool, a non-mechanic me mechanized ski under your, under your feet. And you endure these forces <clears throat> that are endured in water skiing. It's, it's actually quite insane what happens. And I've got friends in motocross, uh, supercross, uh, downhill snow skiers, um, car racers, and they all say when they, some of them are very proficient at water skiing, and they say there's there's nothing else like water skiing, as far as they can tell. And what they're specifically talking about, actually, is this zone right here. They're not talking about pulling behind the boat. They're not talking about going into the next buoy. They're literally talking about these green and, or, and red uh, curves. Because those curves mean acceleration. They mean G-force. Yeah. And that's that's what we love to feel as humans. We love to feel that change in direction. And we love to feel the acceleration. So that's what water skiing actually has a lot of, which is pretty cool. Man, I just talked a lot. What do you got? What, what did I not cover so far? Um, what do do you want to talk about average speed for a bit? Because so <clears throat> when I had some coaching from Nick Adams, he was yep. all about, you know, gate speed. So how you will <clears throat> want to be at 58 Ks or higher. So then you're same speed as the boat. So then when you turn in, you're not getting hit by zero off. Yep. So how important is that going through the course at maintaining that 
or trying to maintain that average speed? Yeah, so that's tricky because there, there are some kind of caveats to that. Uh, number one, when we're talking about this kind of last screen we showed where the skier was at 15 off or 18 meters, um, it's it's a little, it's much less critical than at 38 off or your eight, you know, 11 meters. But um, there, some recent, I, I've seen some math recently and I've had a lot of time to think about this over the years. And my kind of contention is, and this may, this is probably in line with what um, Nick Adams was talking about, but my contention is that you want to try to ski what I would call a middle path. And just so I can make an analogy again, I'll, I'll, I'll screen share so we can actually talk yeah. about this real quick. So um, to your point about trying to ski an average speed, I think one simple way to approach this is this idea of skiing the middle path. And what I mean by skiing the middle path is let's say there's three options here, just three options as far as the path the skier can take through the course. One option is to ski a very late line like this and a very late line in the next buoy. The other option is to ski a very early line like this and have more space into the buoy like that, okay? But there's a third option, and that third option is what I call the middle path. And that middle path is the line that's pretty much right in between both the red, the late line, and the green, the earliest line possible for that skier. So let's set this, let's set the record straight. What I'm talking about is how for the given skill set of that skier, how early can they ski? That's represented by the green line. How late can they ski and still run the pass? That's represented by the red line. What I'm saying is somewhere in the middle is ideal. And, and that would be kind of along the lines, another way to say it would be to try to maintain some sort of kind of average speed or not have a, a huge amount of speed swing, not decelerating at the buoy a lot, trying to grab a lot of angle, not getting shot out of a canyon, and then having to deal with that speed on the other side, trying to kind of ski the yeah. middle path. And the reason uh, from a physics standpoint that I think skiing the middle path is kind of a great analogy or a great target um, conceptually to try to hit is because it, it matches, it's a perfect match of having enough force to create enough load on your body to create um, an early enough line, but not too much load that you can create a situation where you might make a big mistake. So we're trying to maximize our angle. We're trying to maximize our angle or our speed into center line, but we're trying to do it with a minimum amount of effort. So we're not opening ourselves up by the time we get to this point as we shoot outbound for mistakes to happen. So that's that's kind of the behind the curtain why I would say that average speed is kind of a good good way to think about it. However, what's tricky is and I, I've seen math on this a long time ago, and it makes sense to me, but as, as a 15-off skier, you actually have end up having, so this, this skier right here um, at 15-off actually ends up having a higher average speed through the course than a 41-off skier, yeah. which doesn't sound right, but... <laughs> But for the most part, um, that seems to be the case. Um, and I could totally have this wrong, but uh, basically what it amounts to is the 15 off skier can ski 
a longer path, right? So in other words, the 15 off skier can, can ski this longer path into the buoy, longer path into the next buoy and have more time. Whereas a 41 off skier is coming more straight at the buoy here, makes a turn, it's kind of this number and is more straight at the buoy there. So you can see the red line is usually through all six buoys is going to be shorter. And if the boat's going the same speed and the skier's traveling a shorter distance in that same amount of time, 16.08 seconds for 58K, then the red line is going to be shorter than the blue line for the same amount of time. That means that red skier on the red path at 41 off is going to be going slower on average yeah. than the blue skier um, at 15 off, which sounds crazy. But then if you think about it, you yourself, Alex, know this. Um, at 15 to 22 off, it's not easy either, especially 58K. It's hard. You yeah. ride high in the water. Your average speed does feel high now that you think about it. And it's hard to get the ski to grab angle. It's hard to get moving across the wakes. The dynamics, because you're back on the boat and the way you're swinging around the pylon or the boat, rather, is kind of like back here. It's hard to get that momentum going. Whereas that 41 off skier is, is doing more of that. So totally different yeah. dynamics around the pylon. I got lost in what we were talking about. What do you want to talk about next? Let's see. Um, or do you have any questions so far? No, you've been explaining it quite well. Um, okay. Yeah, got a lot here. Um, Vectors and water skiing. Yeah. How does that relate? So I get how you can, you know, draw vectors. You have the velocity, um, yep. centripetal forces, and all that. Yep. But what does that mean to some degree? Um. So I think you touched on it with the drag. Yeah. Being perpendicular to the ski. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if I can find. <clears throat> let's see if I can find this this video. This one might not load because it's like higher quality video. It's kind of hard to see here, but we're gonna stop this right at the moment that. So this is Allie Nicholson, one of the best water skiers in the world, um, and like I said before, if we're going to figure out what force is acting on her ski right here? Well, number one, we can see there's not much ski in the water, right? She's in a, um, she's on an outbound swing. So for people who don't know skiing, uh, you can see that she just negotiated this turn previously and now she's cutting across the wakes and she's approaching the next turn. So anytime you're approaching a turn, you're kind of decelerating. Anytime you're swinging behind the boat, like a tube whipping around the boat, um, you're accelerating. So she's in a deceleration phase. Um, so that should come back to make more sense in about a minute. But let's look at how we approximate some of the forces on the ski. So first we draw kind of a, a line through the ski or along parallel to the ski to kind of show what that ski looks like, right? So this is the ski extending on right here past the water line underneath the water. And then we know the water, um, if we can just kind of disregard drag or friction, drag due to frictional forces, then we can just say water acts perpendicular to the ski. 
So what that means is the water acts perpendicular to the ski like this. That means there's a right angle. If I do this, bring that here, that means that's 90 degrees. If we take the angle between the bottom of the ski and the direction that the water acts on it. Okay, so let's back up though. Because the, the water, what we want to do with force vectors is we want to put them where they're acting. So a, a vector has both a direction and a magnitude, as you know. Um, so here, this red arrow has a magnitude and a direction, but the location of it's wrong. Um, so the problem with that is, um, if we back up here, we want to put it where the water is actually acting, because that red arrow is an indication of where the water is acting on the ski. Well, we know that most of the ski is out of the water. This whole part of the ski is out of the water, you can see. So what we have to do is we have to say, okay, extend the ski back under the water, and we'll take that red arrow now, and we're going to kind of center on where the water's breaking on our back front toe to where the back of the ski is. And we're going to say the water's probably acting somewhere about right there. When we zoom out, that's the only lifting force that's acting on Allie to keep her from falling, sinking into the lake. That red arrow, okay? Um, what we do know is her feet are in front of her, right? So her center mass is usually about right there. And her feet, her connection point is quite a bit in front of that center mass. So we know she's in a deceleration phase, okay? Um, the other thing we can say is, as it relates to vectors, is let's imagine she was way off the back. Let's say she felt like she was going to fall off the back of the ski. What you would probably see is her ski more like this, much more tip up, tail down. Remember, sticking your hand out the car window? Yeah. The more you do this, the more it creates lift or it creates drag, both. And so if she was really in trouble, we would see a more tip up, tail down attitude. If somebody's about ready to fall out the back on a ski, they dig the tail in. Why? Because this force vector instantly has to go perpendicular to the ski again, and it's much more away from the direction that she's traveling. So it's essentially trying to slow her feet down to bring them back underneath her. Do you want to get into components of this force vector real quick? Uh, yeah. Um, just first though. So when you yeah. drew that um force vector yep. on the alley, center of mass was right over that force vector. So is that always the case? <clears throat> Wherever no. the center of mass is? No, no. So so here's what happens is let's imagine that her ski has shot in front of her and her center of mass yeah. is here, okay? And actually, I'm going to draw this force vector even a little bit more appropriately. So this force is probably acting, let's pretend it's there. Her, her feet have shot way in front of her. There's her mass. That force vector, if we extend that out um, here in the space, let me have a, kind of, do I have a steadier hand? Sorry about that, man. I should get my pencil out. If we extend that force vector out in space, you can see that it's nowhere near the center mass, right? Yeah. So what does that indicate? That indicates that she's not either A, she's not at equilibrium. That means that her feet, there's a net torque on her in this direction. Does that make sense? Because yeah. if yeah. you if you're acting with this red arrow and it's acting not through center mass like you asked, 
if that yellow circle is your center mass, there's a net torque on our body, okay? If we just looked at the water, well, what other forces are on our body? Right now. The rope. The rope. Load from the rope. Yeah, load from the rope. So then if we designate this by a different arrow, and we say that there's this much load on the rope, okay? Then we have an interesting math problem here. Because then what we have to do is we have to say, okay, <clears throat> the way to figure out if there's a net torque on our body in this snapshot is to say, we take this size of arrow, that red arrow, and we multiply it by this distance right here, okay? Does that make sense? Let's go inches, yeah. done. Um, feet, done, uh-oh, cancel, okay. 45 pixels. So we take that arrow and multiply it by that distance because that's the that's the lever arm, if you will. And and then we compare that to this magnitude of arrow, which is bigger in this drawing, right? And we multiply that arrow by, stick with me, don't go anywhere. We extend that line out. We multiply that by that size of arrow by this magnitude of lever arm. Right there. And then if those two aren't equal, then whichever one's bigger is the one that's imparting torque. So say the rope is actually creating uh, more torque about her center mass, then she's, let's see here. Where's my draw, where's my left? Then she's got this, this actual net torque on her body. Now, when you look at this, both of these torques actually are doing what to her body? Putting load. Well, both both of these torques are torquing her in the same direction. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Just from this yeah. plane, there's 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 three dimensions going. We only have two drawn, but the rope's pulling her forward, and her feet are decelerating behind her. So in this situation, in this scenario, you can easily see the one I've drawn with this fake uh, green tra you know, attitude of the ski. In this scenario, she would be instantly recorrected back upright just by way of there's two torques on her that are both trying to stand her back up and twist her the direction that that red arrow is, is facing. However, let's back up because what torques are really on her body right now? She's got this one right through her back foot and this is her center mass right here. And she's got the other one that we drew, which is the rope. So what you can see is we extend those out. They're both pretty much keeping her, they're counteracting each other for the most part yeah. in some way. And so she's probably at equilibrium, meaning she's not gonna be st stood back up in the four half plane and she's not gonna be falling off the back. So again, that's a long explanation. But to go back to vectors, um, one of the one of the key ways that vectors matter in skiing is not only with uh, force application and being able to say, okay, what forces are on her body? When are they on her body? How much are on her body? But also in um, doing the free body diagram to see what torques are on the body. Now this is in the the um, let's say the x axis or y axis, but if we go to the z-axis 
we can see there's a whole nother set of free body diagrams that you need to be able to draw or need to be able to at least um, assess. And again, as we've drawn this, you can see this gear instantly changed directions quite quick. And the cool thing about that is to have this ski path change so quickly and abruptly like that, let me use a different color and do red. To have the ski path do that quickly and have this radius tighten up so quickly, there had to be more and more force as that skier rounded the corner. And that's evidenced by the length of arrows that I'm able to draw. And you can see as they get further and further around the corner, those force vectors of the force through the ski or through the feet due to the hydraulic lift created by the ski um, creates more and more force. And this, this is because the direction of the skier, the direction the skier is trying to go versus the direction the water is traveling, suddenly the skier is trying to go a completely different direction than, than the direction the water is flowing, if that makes sense. So as it relates to force vectors, um, we have water in this analogy, we have water just flowing like this down the lake underneath the skier's ski. And as long as the skier is trying to go with the water, no big deal. But as soon as the skier tries to, to go against the water, that's when those forces get much greater than they were when they were just traveling along the side. When the skier is going the direction that the water is traveling, much less load than when the skier is trying to oppose the direction of water travel. And then when the skier does get that load, then that creates the acceleration needed to swing back? Yes. Yes. We're getting into the, we're getting into the weeds, but yes. So there's two there's two things that accelerate the skier, and I guess this analogy is or this example is great to see because we can show them both. So one one um, one of the two means of acceleration, it's just like uh, somebody swinging on a swing set. So imagine you're looking at the swing set, and somebody's going back and forth like this, up and down like this, on a swing set, right? In that case, the thing that's acting on them is always gravity. So it's gravity pulling down on, on that person on the swing set every place on that part of the swing, okay? So that gravity itself um, is what accelerates somebody on a swing set to center line here. But in skiing, it's quite complex in some ways because the skier can dictate how much gravity they feel from the boat by how much drag or load they create, like you said. So if the skier yeah. creates more load in the rope, then regardless of what kind of drag they're going to create, they're going to feel more acceleration um, to center line. They're going to feel more, they're going to feel more acceleration to center line here. All right. So that's one way that we get pulled to center line is by that, that force through the rope. And if you create more load, then theoretically you can create more force through the rope and more swing to center line. Here's the problem with that. To create load, you can create too much load so that you have so much drag on the ski uh, right here, let's say. So if you create so much load that you have too much drag on the ski, then that drag completely erases all that swing speed that you were trying to generate to center line. 
And so they basically just cancel out. So there's a happy medium. How much load can you generate with the right musculature, the right stance on the ski without creating too much drag and too much force through the feet in the wrong direction? So that's one way. The, the second way that you accelerate the center line is by placing your feet. And you can see it barely here, but by placing your feet behind the rope. So we drew the rope force, okay, here to the boat like that. That's the line of action of the rope. If this skier can keep their feet behind the rope like this, so that's their feet right there. Let me use a different color so it's not as confusing. So if that's their ski right there and that's their feet up to their body, then they instantaneously can receive a bunch of load, water load through their feet because how does water act on the ski? We already talked about this, right? Perpendicular? Perpendicular, yeah. So if you can keep your feet behind the rope, your ski actually is set up so that this perpendicular load through your feet is accelerating you inward. There is an incredibly cool inward component to that load through the feet like that. And that is the second component that accelerates the skier to center line. Those two things are the, are the, are the driving forces for, for water skiing. And back to the, to the basics, right? The book or the bottle, how you set, how you support the bottle, how you support your body with the ski has everything to do with the outcome and all these forces and all this crazy crap. So what that means is the better you can understand this as a skier, right? The physics, the basics of it, and the better you can execute it just by getting your body in the right positions and the right shapes, then it's like carrying your plate full of barbecue and, and, and buns. It just takes care of itself. You just arrive at the table and you can eat your food. It didn't fall on the floor. Same thing with skiing. Yeah. If you just set yourself upright, you can arrive at the next buoy with time to turn, which is the name of the game in water skiing. And it's exactly. all it's all tied to physics. But let's have one little comment about performance. And this goes true not just for skiing, but for everything. So we've just talked a lot about physics and the nuts and bolts and how things work as a water skier. But something that's super critical as a human, because Humans aren't computers. We are not computers. We can't just, you can't just shove software into our brains and then expect us to go do awesome things. We, our performance is based on our ability to just eliminate all the crap in our heads and just go and, and, and be athletic, be an athlete, react in the moment. And so what's, what's crazy about water skiing is physics are uber important. They're just super important, but they can't, all this stuff can't be thought about. None of it can be thought about really when you're on the water because everything's happening so fast. If we play this real time, this isn't real time. This is half speed. But if we play this at half speed or 2.5 times speed, actually, you really see that things happen very fast. So you don't have time to think about physics. The, the physics thinking is done off the water and then you go and execute, and then you iterate, and you try to figure out, was that the right way to think about it? Yes, no, maybe so. But anyway, I want to make sure I got that out there. 
Not that most people yeah. matter who are going to be listening to this, but you don't want to get caught in the weeds. You want to be able to have two brains, one brain to think about the concepts and the crazy stuff and how it might work. And the other brain to just go be a skier and have fun. And that's true of anything in life, whether it's skiing or it's knitting. I don't know. What do you knit? Do people knit in Australia? People knit in America. Um, they make scarves, sure. sweaters. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how physics applies to that, but. I'm sure it does. Physics is how things work. So. It is. It is. Got it. Well, what, what else you got, dude? Um, not really relating to physics as much, but do you think zero off settings change or physics or skiing through the course? Um, a little bit, but for bit. 90, yeah, for 99.9% .9 of skiers, um, it's a non-issue yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And there's even a lot of talk about, so zero off is the GPS based speed control system. That means it's cruise control for boats, but it's dictated uh, by GPS. So there's a GPS signal and it's sampling maybe, I don't know, 10 to 30 times a second via the GPS puck and its connection to however many satellites it has. But also inside the dash of the boat is a head unit that has an, what's called an accelerometer, just like your phone. So when you turn your phone sideways, sideways or vertical, it has an accelerometer to, to say flip the screen because the guy wants to watch a video sideways or flip it because he wants to text vertical. Well, there's a head unit in the boat that has the same thing. And that accelerometer samples at a greater rate than the GPS unit. Um, I'd say 60 to 100, I can't remember what the number is, times per second. So hertz, so 60 plus hertz. Every, every 60th of a second, this thing is saying, what's happening to my speed? Am I accelerating or decelerating based on the way the skier is pulling on me? And then it reacts accordingly with throttle on, more throttle, more gas to the engine or less gas. So as it relates to skiing and physics and uh, what the skier should be thinking about, it's just not that it's not as critical as uh, people in the sport make them think it is. A lot of people think it's a critical issue. Uh, it's not. There's nine settings. There's A, B, C, and there's one, two, three for each. Um, find one, pick one you like, and go with it. The best way to do this is in true scientific fashion. Do a double blind. Have your buddy switch it up for the next two weeks. You know, ski and say, all right, I'm going to change the setting. You're not going to know what it is. And just see if you can even tell a difference. Yeah. Um, so we're getting into the weeds, but yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. just thought I'd ask. Yeah, just no, it's, a, it's good. About it. It's good. We didn't talk about ski roll angle um, because that's you just asked earlier about this critical zone once the skier has rounded the buoy and they've started to accelerate under the power of the boat, the roll angle of the ski when you're going down the lake straight, no big deal. The water's pushing somewhat perpendicular to the ski, right? But as, if you're looking at me from the boat, if I roll the ski on the edge like this, the water can't push up to support me. The water has to push like this. So what that does is that makes the ski wanna slide into the water deeper until it finds an equilibrium. And oftentimes what happens is if we have too much roll angle on a ski and the place that this would be, I'd be talking about would be 
finish of the turn after that big tight turn we showed where the force vectors get increasingly bigger and bigger and bigger around the corner and suddenly you slid into the water your ski slid deep in the water because you got on a high roll angle and the boat suddenly picks you up zero off picks you up that's a situation where you have a lot of load because you got a lot of load through your feet because this force vector is trying to hold you up it's not only trying to push you this way but it's also trying to keep the ski from sliding all the way into the water and you've got a lot of love from the boat. So again, it has a lot, force vectors are everything in skiing because um, understanding them intuitively, just like understanding how to carry your plate at a barbecue is all the difference in what your outcomes are in the water. So again, everybody's a physicist, water skiing's fun. You should try it if you haven't ever skied before. Um, and this is a cool project, by the way, so. I'm stoked that you asked me all these questions, dude. I'm so glad I could talk to you like this. You know, yeah. I grew up watching you skiing. So just to yeah, dude. talk well, to you is just amazing. This is what it's all about. And and the fact that you're yeah. taking a passion and you're mixing it with this this learning endeavor called school that we all do, um, that's pretty cool. So I think you should keep that going. What other questions do you have? Do you have any more? Because I... Um, not really. Is there anything that you want to add or say? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, water skiing is a fun sport. Water skiing is a great way to spend some time with friends or family. Um, yeah. And I think you can learn a lot from skiing too. So you're the extreme case where you're like, I'm going to learn, I'm going to take physics Free body diagrams, force factors, center mass. I'm going to try to like apply that to something I love um, and dig into it a little bit. And I think that's great. Yeah. But also, it's just water skiing is just great. The problem has been, historically speaking, over the last 20 or 30 years, well before the lifetime of many of your friends, was water skiing became an elitist sport to where it was like quite expensive to just even go do it. And so for me, um, that kind of bums me out a little bit, just a broad picture as far as like water skiing and participation worldwide, you know, because like I went to University Worlds in China and I went to the World Cups in Russia. Like, you know, these are places that people were trying to get into water skiing. These are developing countries. And um, it's just it's sad for me to say that the sport, it's pricing people out. But there are ways. Just like there are ways, you don't have to buy a brand new car. You can buy a 15-year-old car, and it's way cheaper. Same yeah. with boats, same with ski gear. And if you uh, if you do find a way to team up with a few buddies and buy an old 30-year-old boat for six, 7000 and get into it, you know, three or four uh, buddies, pitch in and have some old ski equipment, it's like there's no other experience like it. So – there's nothing else you can really say. Words suck. You have to actually go learn how to ski if you don't know how. And if you do know how, you need to just go do it more because the more, the better you get at it, the more fun it is, which yeah. there's no feeling like it. Water skiing's unique. Definitely. It's given me a lot. It's taught me a lot. It's taken my passions, applied engineering that, that I did in school to my sport. Um, I've learned you know, I've learned how to do this stuff. Learned how to, I've learned my filmmaking. I've got all this stuff because of water skiing um, in one way or another. So, yeah, it's given me a lot. 
basically it's a it's a passion of mine it's a passion of yours um anybody listening to this if water skiing is not their passion it doesn't doesn't matter whatever is your passion get into it uncover turn over some stones figure out what makes you excited about it and go that direction with you it was physics and water skiing so i'm, I'm stoked we got to sit here and talk about it for a while <laughs> Same. thanks buddy for taking the time oh, this is great well, getting to talk you. to you yeah hey um moomba's coming up yeah do you know of any syndicate team people like coming over for that yeah hazelwood rob's coming hazelwood yeah he's in um he's in uh chile right now training he has been all winter or yeah. all summer down there um but he's heading over in a week or so maybe i don't know so hazelwood's yeah. coming he's a he's a full point method guy um yeah, yeah. and i I mean, I can't think of anybody else who might be going. I don't think Allie or Jamie's not going. I don't think Will and John are going. Probably some of the Aussies, though. Probably, obviously, Nick. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know who else would Jack be going. Christy. Maybe Jack. Yeah, I haven't seen Jack yeah. in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to go? Yeah. Yeah. Got it booked in. Yeah. All right. Have you been before? Uh, when I was very young. Yeah. So yeah, don't it's, really remember uh, it too much, but it's it's my favorite event of yeah. all time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, have fun down there. It's going to be a good event. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, dude. Thanks again for for having me on. Appreciate this. Okay, thank you.